Welcome back to the Sports Media Watch podcast. This is John Lewis, joined as always by Drew Lerner. Today we're going to talk about all the events in sports going on in a busy week. Uh, Busy, certainly, by the standards of late July. So we'll start with the big news of the day coming out of the Pac-12. This is from the Pac-12 meeting on Tuesday. uh, News on their media rights deal. Uh, So uh, per multiple reports, but I'm citing ESPN specifically, Apple is the leader in the clubhouse. Uh, Apple would be a primarily subscription-based deal uh, that would put the Pac-12 on equal footing with Major League Soccer and a Friday night Major League Baseball game. Not exactly the great kind of deal. I think uh, uh, a lot of conferences would 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 strike, but you know it could be the deal of the future as well. Let's talk about the Pac-12. Let's talk about yeah. the reality of trying to watch the Pac-12. So you have football yeah. games on at 10 o'clock at night. That's understandable, West Coast, but still, that's your primary time slot is 10 o'clock, 10.30 at night. If you're not football, then your primary TV coverage is on the Pac-12 network, which nobody has, right? And if you're non-revenue, you don't exist, right? Uh, You know, that's the reason why UCLA Gymnastics had to have a direct line into the Ellen Show, because nobody could actually watch their meets, so they had to go get their meets on the Ellen Show every year to get them viral. Like, I mean, if, if you're not, a, a, if you're not football, you don't exist at all. So does this change that in any regard whatsoever? Probably not. I mean, realistically, what are we saying about MLS this year? To me, I get the sense that MLS, except for Messi coming in, which is kind of a black swan, kind of been off the radar this year. And I think the Pac-12 is already plenty off the radar and this would make it even worse i'll bring you in now Drew. I, i'm definitely hesitant to call this the deal of the future right um this is definitely more of a deal of desperation um from the pac-12 uh obviously they couldn't get many bites from the traditional linear networks at least not at the price point that they wanted and now they're going to be forced into a probably much higher risk deal with apple that is going to be reliant on subscriptions as teams are you know, actively looking to bolt for greener pastures here. I'm hesitant to say this will be a good deal because the Pac-12 lacks um, fervent supporters uh, like the SEC, like the Big Ten. So I don't know how many fans are actually going to be willing to pay an additional subscription for, to watch their football teams because Generally speaking, there's very few passionate fan bases in the Pac-12 compared to other conferences. Yeah, and that's ahead. a big part of it because, you know, look, the SEC was never going to sign a deal with Apple, but, you know, SEC football will find an audience wherever you put it. You know, you could put it on at 3 a.m. like that Women's World Cup match last night. People would still find a way to watch, assuming it was like Alabama and Georgia. If it was Vanderbilt, maybe not. But the reality of the matter is that people will follow the SEC and the Big Ten and, you know, to a lesser extent, the Big 12, the other conferences. And that passion is there. There are fans who care deeply, obviously, about the Pac-12, but it's at a lower level. So you're taking probably a conference that, not probably, I mean, definitely a conference that is all, you know, in this era of the playoff has been teetering on that edge of whether or not they are really in the Power Five. You know what, Washington, I think, made the playoff one year. Mm-hmm. Well, Oregon, the first Oregon. year. Yep. And is that it? 
is that it for playoff teams in the Pac-12 total? Yeah, Utah has been close a couple times recently, but um, I believe I believe that's correct. Yeah, I I think one of the interesting things to me too is, you know, you're looking at Apple. Obviously, the money is what's going to matter the most if Apple bring you know backs up the Brinks truck or or something. But if you're going to go away from the traditional outlets, maybe the CW was kind of a good option. Uh, CW just signed a deal last week. They get the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Let's talk a little bit about what the NASCAR Xfinity Series is, because you know, obviously a lot of people don't watch NASCAR. Uh, I mean, NASCAR gets good numbers, but it's only in their niche. There's no real casual mm-hmm. NASCAR fans, right? If you know you're, you have to be a bit of a gearhead. Uh, so the Xfinity Series is basically kind of not the minor leagues. It's not the G League. Sometimes the top tier drivers do participate, but it's the secondary series. One of the incredible things that NASCAR has going for it is that the Xfinity Series consistently gets about a million viewers per race, which, given it's not the actual main series, is pretty spectacular. Uh, I'm assuming that they're going to be able to maintain that audience going to the CW because they have a passionate fan base, that niche, that the Pac-12 probably doesn't really have. Uh, but the fact that the CW has gotten the NASCAR Xfinity Series legitimizes it a little bit. When it was just live golf, You know, Mm -hmm. people have a very low opinion of live golf. Maybe that's not fair. Maybe there's a bias there. Who knows? But people think of live golf as kind of a joke, kind of something that is, you know, uh, you know, not not a real thing. Uh, And so when the CW was defined by that relationship, that made it seem a little bit more. eh, You don't want to be there. But if it's going to be live golf and the ACC. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, the Pact uh, and uh, NASCAR Xfinity Series, that's, it's not great, but that's not that bad. That's legitimate. Yeah. I mean, those, those Raycom produced ACC games here in the Mid-Atlantic are widely respected, I would say, as, as someone who's grown up in ACC country. Right. I mean, it, it is the tier three rights. So let's, you know, not go crazy. Um, there's going to be a lot of Boston College and Wake Forest on the CW, but they will occasionally get a bigger name on one of those uh, on on one of those windows, right? They will get a Clemson versus Wake Forest game, maybe, or maybe a Miami versus Pittsburgh, right? I mean, that they they will get some of those games, and that will help legitimize them as a as a destination for live sports and they seem to be still in a buyer's mood. So I think the CW is certainly, I want to say it would be a better destination for the PAC 12, but in, in a market that's very limited for buyers, you might as well give them the time of day. Yeah. And it seems, and it seems like based on the reporting, they, that the PAC 12 kind of brushed aside the CW, even if there was interest there. Well, they let the internet scare them off, right? Mm-hmm. You know, everyone's afraid of being made fun of on the internet. Uh, you know, sometimes you got to take the risk, take the plunge, right? The reality of the matter is that uh, the most watched sporting event, the second most watched sporting event last Friday, uh, live sporting event, very slim pickings, but it was the WNBA on ION, the second largest live sporting event of the night last Friday. These networks, ION and the CW, Clearly, you can get an audience there. Maybe you can't get a great one, but you know, uh, as the year has gone along, the idea of partnering with those networks has gone from 
a little embarrassing to something that, you know, really should be done. Uh, obviously, if you're the Pac-12, your preference is to be with the big four. If you can't be with the big four, well, what's the biggest problem you have right now? People can't watch your games. But if you go to Apple, that problem is not fixed. It may even be exacerbated a little bit. So if your problem is people can't watch your games, then maybe the CW, especially with that ACC deal. And, and, and here's the thing about the Apple deal. It, there's just so much uncertainty. And, and when you're dealing with college athletics, especially administrators, they, they don't like to have uncertain budgets. They don't like to have uncertain revenue. And it seems like this is going to be largely based off how many subscriptions are driven for the Pac-12, right? If you go with the CW, you know how much revenue each team is going to generate. With Apple, how are you going to budget out your athletic department budget, which, by the way, will mostly come from football revenues two, three, four years down the line when you don't know how many people are going to subscribe to this? Uh, there, there's really, I, I think that's going to be the largest hurdle for this deal to get done. And we're talking about it like it's already done. I mean, this was proposed today at the board meeting and and now you know the administrators are going to go have to talk about this to their university presidents and all of that this seems shaky to me personally yeah it's a fair point it's not done right and certainly with the pac-12 there's you know no reason to be totally confident about what you hear coming out of uh you know uh, these these meetings so you never know maybe it'll fall apart maybe they'll find something different uh, i do think that uh you know for me if i was in the decision-making process, I'd say the biggest problem we've had is that people can't watch our games. Why on earth would we have a deal where that would still be a problem and maybe even worse? Certainly, Apple is theoretically an improvement over the Pac-12 network. You're trading the problem of people not having access to Pac-12 network on cable subscriptions for the problem of people not wanting to pay for the Pac-12 on Apple. And you know, I don't know which problem is a better one to have. Uh, I mean, probably the second one. But I, I feel like it's going to be really hard to get anybody other than, you know, the sickos committee guys to want <laughs> to pay for, you know, a, a, an, a, an Apple service for the entire season. And again, football is not the only sport here. I mean, you mentioned they're going from one deal where it was impossible to watch to another deal where it's also going to be prohibitively challenging to, to watch Pac-12 games, right? And it seems to me that they're really failing to take away or to take advantage of their one true, their, their one piece of leverage over other conferences. And that's the fact that they have late night windows. Yeah. If I'm the Pac-12, why not say Fox, CBS, NBC, ESPN, everyone gets a 1030 PM slot, right? You know, why it's not like those those networks are programming anything else at those times if they want it you might as well sell it to them you're getting yourself way more exposure that way than you would ever at an apple subscription service well people will watch an event if they want to watch it no matter what the time slot is the nba's best time slot is after 10 o'clock because that's where the lakers and warriors are on the west coast if for the nba if the nba has no problem programming lebron james versus steph curry at 10 o'clock at night and five of those six Lakers Warriors games started at 10 o'clock. And a lot of them are getting seven. Every single game of that series got at least 7 million viewers at 10. So, I mean, to me, if I'm the Pac-12, 
I mean, yeah, I, I wouldn't, it's not, it's, it's, you're not going to get as good numbers as the other conferences, but you can kind of own a time of day. And the other thing too, you know, Fox has done this the past few years with a late night game uh, a few times a year. The reality of the matter is programming live sports in late night is not crazy. We've seen it done 30, 40 years in the rearview mirror. That was the only time slot CBS would give the NBA in the 1970s and 80s, right? 11.30 after the local news, live or taped, you know? Uh, and, and to me, you know, if you can get that late night time slot on over the air, Fox particularly would be willing to take the risk, but there's no Colbert or Kimmel on Saturday night. So I think any of those networks would be fine with preempting. I mean, what do they even air anymore? You, you got to have more availability. That's where the trend is going. It's an interesting trend because the trend is going simultaneously to more availability and also direct to subscriber. The, the thing that's being pushed out is cable. So you are going to see more deals that are a direct to subscriber component and an over the air broadcast TV component. You do over the air to get older people and you do direct to subscriber to get millennials. Well, millennials. I'm acting like millennials at the young, I guess, Gen Z or whatever, right? That's why you do direct to subscriber. Uh, and uh, we'll see how it goes. But we've talked enough about the Pac-12. Yeah. yeah. You know. Let's segue then into uh, the other big story. Um, there's a few big stories, but yeah. let's segue into the NBA news from this week. It's officially unofficial that Doris Burke, Doc Rivers, and Mike Breen will be calling the NBA Finals next year for ESPN. It is also officially official. Mark Jackson will no longer be employed by ESPN. I know we've talked plenty about this on past podcasts. We speculated that Jackson could have ended up with Mark Jones on another ESPN team. That doesn't seem to be the case. Not sure what side of the equation um, wasn't a fan of that if it was Jackson or ESPN. But let's start with um, Doris Burke and Doc Rivers. How do you think they're going to work out? And uh, what do you expect from that top team next year? Well, you know, I'll keep it short because you've talked about this a few times. Uh, Doc is coming back after a 20-year absence, literally 20 years. Did the 2003-04 season, will do the 2023-24 season. Um, Doc was a very good analyst his first time around. For years, I felt like as soon as he retired that I would put him ahead of Mark Jackson and Jeff Van Gundy. I did. I felt that way for a lot of years. Um, the reality is once you get to 17 straight seasons together or whatever it was, that changes a bit because then you have to value uh, your continuity a bit. I think if Doc Rivers had become available in 2011, I would have made the move to replace Mark and Jeff at, at that time. Once you get to all these years, all this continuity, uh, they deserve better than to not be able to sign off, uh, you know, and to be, in Jeff's case, well, really, I guess in both cases, abruptly laid off. You know, it's just how ESPN does its business. But as far as Doris and uh, Doc, I've said before that Doris Burke is someone who I've enjoyed for years. I've been listening to Doris Burke call games since before a lot of people were because she was doing the WNBA, the lead analyst for that with Michelle Tafoya on play-by-play. -play. As I've said time and time again, she's been great the entire time. She's been at ESPN for 30 years. One of the longest, I mean, up there with Bill Raftery for the longest time you're with a network before you get the number one gig. 
and uh, the reality of the matter is, I don't feel like she's at the peak right now of of her of her powers. I do feel, as I've said before, that she's taken a bit of a step back, in large measure because I suspect she's been kind of shifted in a way into a more social media friendly role, which is to say a lot of opinion. Doris is someone who can do the Hubie Brown. She can do what Hubie does and just break down the game. But ESPN, and I'm projecting my suspicions here, ESPN prefers that you break down the narratives. And Doris is better when she breaks down the game. In recent seasons, She's been breaking down the narratives, and I don't think she's been as effective an analyst as a result of that. Hopefully in this different role, and I've not heard her on radio. On radio, she's doing it with Marcus uh, Kestetcher and PJ Carlissimo. PJ and Doc have the same voice, so it'll be very similar on TV. But, you know, I suspect that on radio, she is more of the analyst that a lot of people came to like. Whereas on TV, especially since working with Mark Jones, and Mark is a great play-by-play voice in a lot of ways, but Mark is also very kind of bite-sized, you know, lines for social media to go viral. And so, you know, there's not a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of breaking down the game that they do. I mean, Mark is always calling out the actions and things like that, but it's not as game-focused a broadcast, right? Now, of course, Jeff and Mark weren't particularly game-focused either. So maybe this isn't going to be an improvement. But in, in the ideal scenario, you will have a broadcast that is more focused on the game and what the game is about than, hey, who should be the MVP and all that nonsense that ESPN likes to do. I don't think that'll end up happening. But I do think there's a chance because Doc has never done it that way. When Doc was doing it with, with Al Michaels 20 years ago, they weren't having debates about the state of the game, right? Uh, that was, you know, go and, and, and rewatch any game that they did together. Very much a game-focused broadcast. Uh, and so if it's like that, that's Doris's strength. That's Breen's strength. That's why all those memes on social media, Jeff and Mark are talking about whatever, and Breen says focused on the game. Hey, this could be great. We'll see if ESPN allows it to be. Really well put, John. Um, and I do agree with your last point there that, you know, Doc Rivers is coming off two decades of coaching, right? I, I don't think he's as concerned with playing the narrative game as uh, maybe some of the ESPN executives would like him to be. Um, I, I think he'll, he's going to go in with a coach brain, right? He's going to be thinking X's and O's, and I think that will help Doris stay um, more in that lane rather than like you said, uh, a social media uh, focused announcer. I do want to touch on uh, the future for Mark Jackson and Jeff Van Gundy. I think the obvious next step, if, if we're kind of gaming this out with how the NBA media rights deals are going to get done in the next year, NBC being a potential partner, this is the clear number one team sitting right there for you in announcer free agency do you expect them to be picked up as a duo by whoever ends up getting a like a hypothetical third package for the nba 
You know, as far as Jeff and Mark go, they're not probably going to work again for the next couple of years because ESPN, when they lay you off, they pay your salary. Uh, and if you're Jeff Van Gundy or Mark, you're getting paid money to do a TV gig that you don't have to actually do. It's kind of perfect. Uh, they did, they've done this to everybody. They did this to Rachel Nichols, did it to Ron Jaworski. You basically get paid to not work, which is good, but also not so good because if you're young and ambitious, uh, then your career passes you by. Uh, now, if you're 61 years old and maybe you weren't lately looking for another gig at all and would like to get back into coaching or just want to sit down and get to know your kids a little bit better, then maybe you've had the opportunity to. It's kind of fantastic. You know, I, I think you also have to consider the the relationship between Mark Jackson and Jeff Van Gundy. They are close. They are good friends. I think they are more likely to jump back in the water because the other is there with them. And you know what? Any new potential media partner for the NBA is going to want to make a splash. They want to have an established crew yeah. to do their games. It doesn't really get more perfect than Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Jackson. You pair them with um, whatever play-by-play -play guy or gal you want. Well, if they do decide to go back in, and I, I suspect at the very least it'll take a couple of years off as their contracts expire. Because the other thing, too, is you sacrifice your contract if you sign with somebody else. Mm -hmm. Yep. So you don't want to do that. Um, if they come back after a couple of years, maybe they come back with Breen. If it's NBC, why not? That's where Breen came up. Uh, and I suspect that this is not based on any reporting, just reading the tea leaves based on what Iger said about ABC. I think the next deal will be ESPN keeping all of its NBA rights for it and the NBA finals going to NBC. So if you want to do the NBA finals, uh, then the NBC might be the only place you can go. Of course, by then, maybe Breen, Doc, and Doris have left Breen, Jeff, and Mark in, 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 in the dust and are, you know, beloved, like uh, the old Dick Enberg, Al McGuire, and Billy Packer uh, team was. I mean, maybe. Uh, doubtful, but you never know. Uh, I, I do think that we probably haven't seen the last of them, but it's not going to be surprising to me if we have. All right, John, let's wrap up today's podcast with a little Women's World Cup talk. Uh, as we record on Tuesday, um, early this morning here on the East Coast, uh, the U.S. Women's National Team drew Portugal to finish second in their group. Unfortunately for us Americans, that means they will be playing at possibly some of the worst time slots available for the rest of the tournament. Um, had they won the group, they would have gotten two more East Coast primetime games. Um, so a pretty big miss for Fox there. With how they've looked so far, advancing in the tournament isn't a guarantee. They will likely play Sweden, who is one of the best teams in the, in the world, uh, coming up on Sunday morning. Uh, John, how big of a blow is this for Fox with their world, Women's World Cup coverage? I'm going to actually say not that big of a blow because I don't think Fox could have really expected the ratings to be even halfway decent for this Women's World Cup. This was a tournament that was going to end with a 6 a.m. final, no matter who's in it. If the U.S. isn't in it, oh, no, we've missed out on a 6 a.m. final that would have gotten, I don't know, 8, 9 million viewers. If this just, you know, if there's any year for the U.S. to be no good, this is the year. And, and frankly, eventually other countries are going to catch up to them. This actually maybe is kind of a good thing because you just waste this Women's World Cup, which was never going to be a good draw anyway because of the time slots. And then you get your redemption narrative 
for four years from now when I believe it might be in this country. I don't think they've picked a, a, a site. You get your redemption narrative for 2027. You go all in on 2027 and you just, you know, write this one off. It was never, this, this Women's World Cup was never going to do well. Not with those time slots. So you wash your hands of it and get ready for some fun redemption narratives in four years. Yeah, you're right on the one hand, John, but missing out on those two knockout stage windows, I think are pretty big, right? Um, that That's going to leave a bad taste in the mouth of, of the Fox executives there because, I mean, we saw six and a half million for their primetime game against the Netherlands, which is their second group stage game. It set a record for a Women's World Cup group stage game. Yeah we probably could have seen upwards of 10 million for some of these knockout stage games. And that's in this, at this time of year, that's a huge number, John. You're certainly not getting that at 5. AM Sunday morning. No, you are not. Okay. That is very fair and very true, but I'm thinking about the tournament average. I'm not thinking about, Hey, you have a terrible tournament average, but you have like five or six really great audiences. I mean, yeah, that's useful. It's great for PR. It helps you out in a lot of ways as well. Wins you a few nights. It's not bad. But, you know, in general, this tournament was going to be pretty low anyway. So even with that, I think this is, you know, this is a low stakes Women's World Cup because of of that time slot difference. There was just no universe where it was going to do all that well outside of a few milestones. The milestones cover up for everything else. Have you noticed that you haven't seen a single number for any other match other than the ones in prime time? I mean, I, you know, there's a reason for that. Uh, and uh, look, it, it's going to be really unfortunate for Fox that you're going to have the, the, the time slots that we're going to end up seeing. But, you know, so be it. Um, 5 a.m. Sunday. And then, of course, that this is a knockout stage. They've looked pretty pedestrian, so they could end up not moving forward. What's the match after? Uh, I believe it would be four or three thirty or three thirty in the morning. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, but you know what? These will be some of the most watched three and four in the morning events in a long time. So, you know, yeah, definitely beating some of those F one races in the Australian Open finals. So there, there you go. You're probably right. I, I four might possibly be the worst time. Yeah, because at least three, you can get some night owls on the West Coast. I mean, four is really stretching it. It it works out perfectly for 2027. Yes. You know, the stakes are much higher. It's a U.S. or wherever it's going to be. It's not going to be Australia again. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, you're going to have better time slots just because of that. Uh, Sometimes it's got no one to fold them. This 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 is a no one to fold them situation. Cut your losses you know, do a professional job down the stretch. Obviously people are still watching, but prepare for uh, basically what they thought Qatar was going to be. They thought Qatar was going to be okay. Just flush this one and get ready for 2026. That ended up actually being pretty good. The time slots worked out. The NFL competition didn't hurt, Uh, but this is basically what they thought Qatar was going to be. Yeah, most definitely. And, you know, in 2027, when it is, you know, more than likely probably going to end up in the U.S. or North America. You know, they'll be building off of a few big tournaments uh, in the United States uh, in the coming years. Obviously, next year we have Copa America, uh, 2026, the Men's World Cup, the the Women's World Cup, and then we have the Olympics uh, in 2028. Oh, yeah. 
really quickly wanted to touch on A-Rod's situation. Looks like he's going to be exclusive to Fox going forward, according to The Hollywood Reporter. So that'll be the end of the K-Rod alternate presentation. You wonder what the long-term future of the non-Manning cast alternate presentation is going to be. Uh, who knows? Speaking of, Nickelodeon will carry a simulcast of the Super Bowl, their slime-filled Super Bowl uh, coverage this year. First time the Super Bowl has been on two English-language networks since Super Bowl One in 1960-whatever-year that was, with CBS and NBC carrying it. So that'll be interesting as well. One more thing. Football is back this week. Oh, Hall yeah. of Fame game. Quick ratings prediction? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's, that's, a good, that's a good question. The Hall of Fame game is not as big a draw as people think it is. People are still going off of ratings from 10 years ago with that. The <laughs> Hall of Fame game used to get around 11 million viewers sometimes. It's not getting anywhere close to that now. Uh, so let's see. I don't even remember what last year's Hall of Fame game drew. I think it was five or six million, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, you know, not a bad number at all, but nothing that great, uh, certainly by NFL standards. Last year's audience was 5.48 million. Uh, who is it? Jets Browns. It's Rogers. Is Rogers playing? It, it, I, I doubt he's going to take a snap, but he'll probably do some interviews. Well, yeah, but Rogers talks for free. You know, <laughs> you don't need to sit down for your TV to do that. Uh, I think last year was a weather delay. The Jaguars were in it. Jets Browns. If Rogers is suited up, even if he doesn't play, I'm actually going to say 6.5 million. Why not? Okay, so that will wrap it for this week. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe.